Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Pim and I digress. And we do this for all of you of Bloomberg Radio worldwide and across this country. And Pim, we do this for our Apple podcasts and Spotify as well. Russell Shorto has written the jewel of this 4th of July revolution song, a story of American freedom. It is about six people involved in our revolutionary war. And we are thrilled we're joining uh, Russell Shorto from Brown University, Gordon Wood, is well. Wonderful to have both of you on. Russell, let me give you first word, although I'm sure you'd like to hear from Professor Wood um, as well. Russell, you have six different, different, different people in your book. How did you choose them? Uh, well, first of all, thank you very much, Tom, for having me on. And I have to say uh, what an honor it is to be sharing your microphone with a great Professor uh, Wood, whose work I have admired forever. And I also want to just get in a quick thank you to him for doing me the honor of blurbing the book, which I'm sure made a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have given it the time of day um, uh, yeah. uh, take a look at it. Shorto, um, Shorto has taken the lives of six very different figures and woven them seamlessly together into an engaging, readable, and surprisingly complete account, I'll, I'll ad-lib here, Russell, of the emotion, the passion, the gore, the anger, and the fragility of our American revolution. Professor Wood says a tour de force. Russell, how'd you pick the six people? Um, th that, the whole idea was um, to pick people from different walks of life because, of course, uh, it's it's uh, the revolution was uh, about everyone, and yet we tend to get the perspective of uh, of the men in the powdered wigs. So I wanted to, and their perspective is important, and I wanted to include uh, them as well. Um, but I did it over a long period of time because, as it turns out. Um, Unless you were one of those powdered wig uh, people, um, it was uh, it's difficult to find people whose lives are well documented. A slave, a Native American, uh, these people's lives were, were not, uh, by and large, well documented. Yeah. So it took me a couple of years of kind of uh, auditioning people for roles in the book, and I had to find right. people who were from diverse backgrounds, whose lives were well documented, who I cared about. Um, and who, you know, the trickiest part is I wanted to find people who in some way or another cross paths with each other right. so that because I care about writing narrative and I, want, I care about the reading experience and I wanted it to read as, as, one, as one narrative. Gordon Wood, I walked across George Washington with James Thomas Flexner of Another Time and Place. You are our arch expert of the core research of the revolution, including your work on Benjamin Franklin. I was thunderstruck early in Revolution Song, Professor Wood, of how fragile and what a failure George Washington was. Discuss that, Gordon Wood. Why was George Washington such a failure early in the war? Well, he, he, he was facing the greatest power in the world with a ragtag army that had very little experience. It's amazing that he did as well as he did. 
but uh, uh, it's just extraordinary that he learned uh, how to uh, how to fight the British in the course of losing those battles. You're thinking particularly of the Battle of Long Island, which was a near disaster, uh, and he escaped uh, by the skin of his teeth and, and uh, very lucky. Uh, so he the first year of the war was was terrible for the Americans, and it looked like they they might just uh, right. fail. But they didn't, and he uh, he managed uh, the, uh, the the battle of of, of, of Trenton, and and uh, that that brought back the uh, uh, the, the the morale of, of Americans right. at that crucial time. Russell, you go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and you pull down their perfect restoration of Washington crossing the Delaware with James Monroe on the boat. It's all the you know it's whether it's Stan Freeberg comedy or it's what we learned in school. <laughs> It's not reality, is it? I mean, how did they, Russell Shorto, how did they really cross the Delaware? Uh, well, it wasn't. I mean, if you if you you're taking the the famous painting, which is uh, on the cover, as, you, as uh, that's your reference. Um, if it, there are several things wrong with that painting, for one thing, they have an as I recall, there's an American flag that they're holding, which didn't exist yet in the painting, <laughs> um, and uh, they were crossing at night. So if you you know if they if you were being uh, literal about uh -huh. it, you probably wouldn't be able to see the to see the figures. So uh, it was and it was actually the recrossing coming back. That was the uh, that was the surprise. I mean, he, that was uh, Washington's brilliant maneuver to cross back and, and surprise them. Uh, yeah. And that again is one of these uh, skin of the teeth uh, moments where he pulls um, uh, pulls yeah. victory out of the jaws of defeat. The fragility of the revolution, Professor Wood, was this because the politicians didn't have their back? I mean, you are our expert on Benjamin Franklin. Do we blame the early years of the revolution on John Adams and Benjamin Franklin and the others? Did they, did they get what was going on out in the battlefields? Oh, I think they did. I think they, uh, they, what's incredible is the confidence they had that they would win. Uh, I find that, uh, you know, the fact that they were taking on uh, the greatest power in the world, uh, with uh, with no experience, very little military help, and and constant problems. Uh, nonetheless, they had this confidence right from the beginning that they were going to win. And in some mm. sense, they were right. Uh, I think the British had an almost impossible task. Uh, I know that's difficult to appreciate in the in retrospect, yeah. but I think they had an impossible task to put down a rebellion 3,000 miles away. We found out that difficult in Vietnam yeah. and any nation that tries to, uh, to deal with, it, with an uprising thousands of miles away uh, has has a real uh, has a real problem, and, and the British faced that right from the beginning. You know, I, I look at this, Russell, and just to finish up here, and we'll come back with my colleague Pim Fox. Is well, Russell, you have a scene, and this is so great for those of you coast to coast. Russell Shorto takes you to Parliament, where Edmund Burke and the Whigs basically, Russell, explain to the elites of Britain. You're not going to win this thing. Tell us about the courage of the Whigs to stand up in Parliament and say to Lord North and the rest, this isn't going to work. Well, what I think is fascinating about the situation in England, and one, uh, that was one reason I wanted to have one of my six people be a British, in this case, uh, the man, uh, George Germain, the man who really ran the war for Britain, is that then you get the sense of how divided 
Britain was, the, the, the leadership was, where you had a lot of Whigs in Parliament basically saying, wait a second, we invented this Enlightenment stuff, and now they're using it against us, and guess what? They're right. Yeah. So, uh, you, you know, when you have that kind of uh, uh, almost split personality among the, the British Parliament, that adds to the, the difficulties that England faced. To Professor Wood, if I could first, Gordon Wood, you invented and demanded with great courage in the 60s that we go back to the original research of the revolution. Take us back there to what it was like to actually go into the actual documents and archives of the revolution that have been forgotten by so many scholars. Well, I'm not sure that it's been forgotten because it is the most important event in American history, bar none. Uh, it not only uh, legally created the United States, the revolution, but it infused into our culture uh, almost everything we believe in, our highest aspirations, our noblest ideals. So the revolution has always been um, an important event for Americans. And even though uh, we may think of July 4th as just a time to have a barbecue uh, we should not forget that this is the most important day in, in the history of, of the United States. And since the United States has become the greatest power the world's ever known, it's probably a, a, a not only an important day for us, but maybe an important day for mm. the world as well. Tim? Well, I just would like to put to both uh, of the, these scholars the question that, you know, we studied the revolution, we praised the revolution, I wonder if we've learned from the revolution, because we always seem to be, at least in modern times, not necessarily on the side of other revolutionary movements around the world. And uh, I believe you referenced Vietnam just a moment ago, and I'm wondering if you could each give us your thoughts about whether there's a contradiction in the way that we look at the revolution and apply it to our current situation in the world. Professor Gordon? Well, I think that uh, we have become, since, especially since 1945, uh, a, a status quo power that is trying to maintain the uh, order in the world. So we're not looking for revolutions, although uh, we were very supportive uh, of the Arab Spring, perhaps prematurely since it didn't amount to much. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a fear of communism in, in, in 1945 that led us into Korea and then into Vietnam, the fear that the communist revolution, which was a rival to our own, ideological rival to our own, that, that we feared that they might be taking over the world. Now we're no longer fearing that kind of, uh, that kind of threat, but we're worried about uh, terrorism and, and uh, uh, disturbances elsewhere. So we are, in that sense, a status quo power, trying to maintain the, the uh, order in the world. Russell Shorto, your thoughts? Yeah, um, well, uh, the fact that we fought a revolution doesn't necessarily mean that we should support every revolution. Uh, the revolution was fought over uh, certain beliefs and ideals about individuals and individual liberty and, and therefore a society that, and a government that would maintain those. Uh, and that goes back to into the 1600s, that, that building wave of, of uh, awareness. And the American Revolution in the late 1700s was the was a great explosion or of uh, of uh, 
of feeling and of, of collective will uh, in that regard. Uh, and ever since then, I think we've been trying to make good on it. I mean, the revolution was uh, was about certain things, and it succeeded and it failed in 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 making those freedoms possible. And ever since then, we've been trying to make good on it. So we have the fight over mm-hmm. slavery, the fights over civil rights. I think that's why I um, said early in my book that I think the revolution, the American Revolution, is is ongoing, and we're still fighting it. Right. The gr- granularity, Russell Shorter, of your book, of the six people in your book, whether it is an Indian spanning the Seneca of western New York over to the Mohawk and the eastern New York and how they go back and forth with the British— is profoundly focused on a black man on the islands of New York who ends up in Connecticut. Tell us a little bit about his path from Africa into how he became free and independent. Yeah, he was born Brotier Furo in West Africa, and his uh, village was invaded by an African army, and they took him prisoner and took him to the coast and sold him into slavery to a ship that happened to be from Newport, Rhode Island. So he ended up having living out his life uh, in New York and in Connecticut, and um, and uh, he became uh, his name was changed to Venture Smith. And um, it's a remarkable story because, for one thing, his story is fairly complete, uh, going back to the the problem of sources, um, from beginning to end. And it is this continual search for freedom for himself. Once he's uh, enslaved, he he does everything he can to work for uh, freedom and for himself and his family, eventually buys himself out and his family out of slavery. But it's transpiring against the backdrop of the American fight for freedom. Within this Gordon Wood is when we walked away from the Revolutionary War. James McGregor Burns, the giant of Williams College, marks that day where Jefferson and Adams died. But did it happen before that? When did we move on from Russell Shorto's revolution song? Well, I think from the very moment that uh, the Declaration of Independence, I think it marked a major turning point, not only in the U.S. history, but in the history of the world. Uh, We have to understand, and I think it's it's a problem for us today because we look back and these founding fathers, many of whom were slaveholders, slavery existed at the time of the revolution, and it seems embarrassing that they didn't do anything about it. But I think we have to get the, the context correct. Uh, until the revolution, the American Revolution, slavery was largely taken for granted by the world. Uh, it existed for thousands of years, yeah. going back to antiquity. And now it becomes a problem. It coincides with the American Revolution. The first anti-slavery convention in the history of the world is held in Philadelphia in 1775. That's not a coincidence. So we have to understand that the American Revolution coincided with the questioning of slavery and the opposition to slavery. Now, it takes a civil war for us to to eliminate Uh. slavery. But certainly the revolution, as Lincoln understood better than anyone, right. it, it was the revolution that lay behind the uh, uh, Civil War and the, uh, and the, and the uh, inconsistency right. of slavery, uh, and its, inc- its incompatibility with American values. Russell, one final question on Revolution Song. Bloomberg will celebrate the 4th of July on the shores of the Charles River up in Boston. And one of the great hallmarks of your book is the distance from Boston to New York. 
there was a cultural divide. It wasn't the Hudson River. I'll let you decide. Maybe it was the Connecticut R- R- River. But but it was amazing the distance of New England from the rest of the country in the time of your book. Uh, well, that uh, speaking of the Hudson River, that was uh, the the British initial British strategy was if you take control of the Hudson River, then you are they they thought that New England was the hotbed of the rebellion and that that would sort of cut New England off from the rest of the colonies. So there was that that sense, but there was also a, 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 I think a different sensibility in New England and in New York, and I think New York. That goes back to the Dutch period. New York was always this. Oh, see how he, get, he gets his second people. book in there. See how he's Russell's, <laughs> Russell's selling both. Russell's selling both books today, Professor Wood. <laughs> if, wait, wait, if we're selling books, then I, I, I would like to give a shout out to Professor Wood's uh, latest book as well, Friends Divided, which also yes. goes at the period of the Revolution uh, in a biographical well, sense. And so is in Goodwill Hunting. Um, I'll let you know. Oh, it is. It is. You should watch that movie and check out and find those moments when they speak about Professor Woods. We will do that. Gordon Wood, thank you so much from Brown University. And to Russell Shortle, thank you as always. I can't say enough, folks, about Revolution Song, a story of American freedom. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.